Well, good morning, Journey Church, and welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. Welcome to 2022, January 2nd. And uh, we are smack dab right back in the middle of our teaching series in Peter's second letter. And we're going to hit it off right right away. And uh, may I just say this, we get to crack chapter 2 this morning. And the reason why that is so significant is the first three verses that we're going to look at today is at the heart of why Peter is so desperate to get another letter off to those first century believers in Asia Minor. The reason why it's only four years after his first letter, and he desperately wants to get this this second letter to them. The heart of Peter's pastoral uh, concern for them. And at the center of that concern is this. Beware, Christians. Beware. Look out for false teaching and false teachers. They and it is coming. The first wave of, of threat was persecution from the outside. And what the devil could not do by throwing them in prison and making Christianity illegal, he would do by infiltrating them with false teachers and false teaching. And just as all that glitters is not gold, yeah, I had a week I should have brought in a piece of iron pyrite, which is otherwise known as fool's gold, And many people have mistaken iron pyrite for gold. But the legitimate gold miners knew, and they would smirk as they would take these rocks into the assessor. They would smirk and giggle and go, oh, what a fool. Fool's gold. All that glitters is not gold. And in the same way, all that goes by the name Christian is not necessarily of Christ. And that's our bottom line, right off the bat, if you want to fill in the blank, and everyone can get this. Just because it looks good and Bible verses are attached to it, and it mostly sounds true, or maybe to the untrained ear, it sounds completely true and plausible. Believer, beware. All that is called Christian is not of Christ. And as I said, four years later, Peter knows that he's going to die. We know from history he died later on the same year that he wrote this letter. It was his his last effort, a labor of love, doing everything that he could do at the end of his life to ensure that believers everywhere would have the best shot at following Christ into lives that are fruitful for the kingdom of God. So he writes this letter, and in chapter one, he began with talking about our resources in Christ, everything pertaining to life and godliness. You remember that? And then he went on to talk about the opportunity that we have to fully become partakers of the divine nature something that the false teachers of his day would would kill to experience. 
And yet here it is ours in Christ. An opportunity to become partakers of this divine nature. He goes on in chapter 1 to talk about our responsibility, our duty, our privilege to supplement our faith that is already ours, to supplement it with virtue. And we looked at seven magnificent Christian virtues that were for them and are for us. Then we got into a section where we saw Peter's pastoral heart and concern and where he explains why and what's driving him to make sure that they have the best chance possible. And uh, Pastor Tyler uh, shared that portion of Scripture. And then Christmas Eve and last Sunday, God's precious gift to us that is even better than an eyewitness account of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, even better than experience, is the prophetic word confirmed. God's holy word itself. And by the way, Journey Church, we have more Bible than Peter or those first century Christians did. Okay, we have the completed canon, 66 books, 39 of the Old Covenant, 27 of the New Covenant. We have more Bible than they did. More prophetic word, more fully confirmed. In the admonition, you would do well to pay attention to that. And it's with that in mind, uh, the portion of scripture that we're looking at today in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, is both grammatically and theologically connected to the previous chapter. With that in mind, we can't really understand chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, unless we actually get a running start. So if you would, we're going to open our Bibles to chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and uh, then we'll flow right into verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. So Peter says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed better than my eyewitness testimony, and, and validated by his eyewitness testimony. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own source. We looked at that last week, and that's what that word interpretation means. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in that same exact line of thinking, here comes the warning that we're looking at today. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people. During the days of those holy men of God being specially and uniquely prepared and, and partnered with that they were actually writing scripture. At the same time, concurrently, there were also false prophets that arose. Just as there will be false teachers, no more prophets in the same way, writing scripture, but there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, 
And because of them, the way of, the tr- of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So you look at some of these ideas, destructive heresies. The word for destruction shows up three times in there, Apollyon. Like, like uh, the name for the devil, Apollyon, the destroyer. And these are going to be destructive teachings that they bring into the church. They're going to be known for sensuality, which is really a, a me-centered commitment to my own pleasure and happiness is what it's going to, to be about. The way of truth is going to be, going to be mocked, blasphemed. That's what that word means. Christians are going to be exploited. They're going to use false words. The, the word in the Greek for false words is plastos. It means moldable, bendable, or malleable. It's where we get our word plastic from. That they're going to actually use the words of Scripture and logic and theology, and they're going to to form it in such a way that they're getting their agenda across. They're going to be twisters of Scriptures in order to make sure they can get what they want out of it and they're going to teach Christians how to do likewise. Bottom line, believer beware. These were so-called Christians, and this was Christian teaching. Then, as it is now, believer beware. All that is called Christian is not necessarily of Christ. Now, I'm going to take you back in our, in our life story, our family story, to 1998. And my wife was pregnant with baby Bradley. And it was early in the year, and it was raining in Chandler, Awatuki, and my wife got into what was a little bit more than a fender bender. And our geoprism, we loved that car, the geoprism was destroyed, totaled. Little commercial for Liberty Mutual, they've always been good to us, so we've stayed with them. We pay a little bit more but we've never been sorry. And they were generous and gave us enough money to do whatever we needed to to replace that car. Now, I also had a sweet hookup. Um, my dad's business, Professional Chemicals Corporation, ProChem, if you've had your carpets clean with a, a truck-mounted uh, cleaning machine, it was likely a ProChem, ProChem unit manufactured by my dad's uh, company. Well, he, uh, he had a dealer's license, and he signed me up as a car dealer so that I could go to the Mannheim uh, car auction there in Chandler. And you want to talk about a testosterone, adrenaline-fueled feeding frenzy. Man, it was right up my lane. And I go in there looking for a car for us, but I'm competing against these high-roller used car salesmen. Twelve lanes of cars going through at all times. Okay, and dealers from all over the place in full-blown professional auctioneers. You're like, whoa! And, and, and things happening so fast. You have a Kelly Blue Book. This is in the day before cell phones, smartphones. Kelly Blue Book in this hand. Consumer reports over here in looking for cars that you might be interested in. Looking at the miles. Checking to see if it's as is. Uh, yellow light, green light means like, hey, 
that we checked this out and it's an awesome car and you're there all day and, and sometimes you're like, I think that was a really good car that I missed. I better get a little more aggressive, but it's, it's adrenaline. And on the day that I went, uh, there was a moment that I just go, wow, I just was blessed from the most high. A lane in a car that I just, it was a, it was a, a 95 Mazda 626. Okay, if you don't know, that, that was actually just a touch of status. No, it was not a Mercedes-Benz, but for where we were at, uh, a professional youth pastor on a single income, it was a really nice car, and I won. And, and you win, and you go, oh my goodness, did I do something wrong? Why wasn't anyone bidding against me? Green light, everything checks out. Wow, and I drove the car home, showed it to my wife, and she was floored. It was gorgeous, beautiful, pristine, low miles. And we took it for a drive. But when I stepped down on the gas to see what kind of power it had, it began to sputter. And instead of accelerating, it decelerated. So we went home and I just go, I don't know, they power washed the engine. Maybe there's water in one of the, in the, one of the, the distributor or, or uh, on one of the spark plugs. So we're like trying to let it dry out and, and take it back out again. I pulled the spark plugs out and, you know, nothing that I could see was wrong with it. But lo and behold, the engine was trashed. And I called the auction and they said, sir, that was, uh, that was already checked out and that, there's nothing wrong with that car. I go, well, there, there's something wrong with this car. And after negotiations, they were willing to take a look at it. Not willing to take it back, but willing to take a look at it. And lo and behold, cylinder number three had zero compression. Why do I tell the story is simply this. All that glitters is not gold. Believer, beware. All that goes by the name Christian is not necessarily of Christ. It may look good on the outside. By the way, it didn't even smell like smoke. The next vehicle did. And we had to live with that for many years. You can't get smoke out of a car interior. At least I don't know how to. But everything was so right about this car. The problem is when you step down on the gas, it didn't go. No go, only slow. It didn't work. It was fool's gold. And we barely got out of that car with our money. Okay, it's the same thing going on here. In the first century, it's the same thing going on in our time. Why? Because Peter said it was true. I'll make a note and I'll say, yes, there is, seems to be, um, when Christianity is popular and growing in popularity, when there's awakenings and revivals and there's a movement from pre-Christian to a Christianized society, I do believe that this happens more. But just because we're on the, the backside of Christendom in North America, and, and Christianity is not the cool kids club anymore, we are in, a, in, a, in a, a little bit less danger. Why? Because the false teachers, the church planters, the, uh, the, the self-acclaimed prophets, they're in it for what they can become or what they can do for themselves, for their ego, for their bank account. So it is more popular in the ascendancy of Christianity, and we are not there in North America. But just because 
Christianity is not on the rise in North America does not mean we're out of the woods yet on this topic. And I'm going to demonstrate here in a moment, not only that it is true because it's true, but maybe even tease out one false teaching that I think all of us have bought into at some point or another, if not even right now. So let's fill in some of these blanks. Even as Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And so fill in the blank. False teachings and false teachers are too ubiquitous. Yeah, I chose that for Family Sunday. Kids, say ubiquitous. Say ubiquitous. Jack, make your brother say ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Can we all say it together? Ubiquitous. It's a great word, isn't it? It means everywhere all the time. It's everywhere. False teaching is everywhere in every church and every age and even before the church in the Old Testament. It's too ubiquitous to deny. It's everywhere and always. Can I take you back to Genesis 3? Let me just read a portion of scripture. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And and he said to the woman, did God actually say? See, false teaching always begins with a questioning of the plain literal statements of God and re-explaining them. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of every tree of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then this, by the way, this is interesting. This is an addition, and I don't know where it came from. Did Adam try to protect her by adding to God's commandment? Because God didn't say this part. Neither shall you touch it. So maybe Adam, even, even before sin, added in a layer of protection. By the way, don't even touch it. You can look at it. Don't eat it. Oh, don't even touch it. And Eve recites this version of the commandment back to the serpent, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent, serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. You're, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. True or false? True. Their eyes would be open. He's actually speaking the truth in the lie that he's trying to get her to buy. And we're going to see that that's actually the technique. You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. They were already like God. They were created in his image. So there's something little sneaky going on there. Knowing good and evil, and, and guess what? They had not known good and evil. They, they were not created to know evil in this way. But it was very powerful temptation to go, whoa, there's something else, and it would be really cool, because God knows about it, but we don't. So the false teaching and the false teacher was there at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Can I just give you another sampling throughout the Old Testament? Aaron the high priest, the brother of Moses, played the false prophet and the false teacher. Whether it was feeling peer pressure, acquiescing, or, or a bold-faced lie, 
He was a part of creating the golden calf and leading the children of Israel into idolatry. Balaam, we'll learn about him later in chapter 2, the son of Beor, seems so interesting that he had a real relationship with Yahweh. And yet, he lived as a false prophet and a false teacher. Zedekiah, son of Chenanah, in a a meeting between the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king from the south, king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and them trying to decide if they should go into battle. And the only prophet, there's a bunch of them, there's a bunch of them, and these actually serve the king's court, the people of God, Israel. And it's Zedekiah who grabs uh, two bars of iron and makes for him uh, horns. And he goes, with these you shall gore the enemy. Go forward, the Lord has given you victory. And all the other prophets join in and say, yeah, God's gonna give you guys victory, go do it. Only they had not heard from God. They were making it up. This was like all throughout the history of Israel and Judah. So much so that just before, um, and so this is after the fall of the northern tribes, um, they actually just got decimated, and and any remnant got scattered. There was no group uh, captivity for the northern tribes. They're just smashed, devastated, and scattered. So over 100 years later, God had a little more patience for the southern tribes because they were just a tad bit more godly at times. So it's over 100 years later that they're going to go into Babylonian captivity. Many of them at least will go together. And a remnant of the faith will be preserved in Babylon. This is Jeremiah in chapter 23 of his his book where God is speaking. This is how ugly it had become even in the more godly southern tribes. Jeremiah 23, 11 through 18, both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. And so God's upset. Can you blame him? He's angry. False prophets, false teachers lead people astray and lead them to hell. So God is righteously infuriated. And he says this, therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall, for I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led many, my people astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, these were the more godly people, even in the prophets of Jerusalem. I have seen a horrible thing They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. 
They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? It happened in the garden throughout the history of Israel, but notice this, in the first century, Jesus said, Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then half uh, a dozen chapters later or more, in Matthew 24, 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead a couple astray. No, I will lead, they will lead many astray. And then we jump into the book of Acts. We're in Acts 20, and the apostle Paul is making a short visit, and the elders from, from the churches of Ephesus come down to meet him. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to be arrested. And he spends a moment. He spent some good years with, with, the, with the church of Ephesus, and he was saying hi to them, and they were praying for him, and he warns them. In Acts 20, 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You say, okay, that's first century. Yeah, and it's in America too. Mid-1800s, isn't it interesting that three to four major cults start all at the exact same time? I'll stick to the three for now. But maybe you know the names Charles Taz Russell, Mary Baker Eddy, and Joseph Smith. All at the same time. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism, and Christian scient Scientistism come on the scene. Why is that? Uh, the short answer is the Second Great Awakening. And the entire nation is turning to God and Christianity is gaining energy and honor and pastors are being honored and there are individuals that say, you know, that might be a good job. That might be a, a good thing to be involved in. Religion could actually be very lucrative. And so it happened. It happened. And many, even to this day, are still following in the paths of those false teachings. It happened. It happens from the Garden of Eden throughout ancient Israel to the first century church on up into modern day America. False prophets arose among the people just as there will be false prophets among you. Can I take a crack at what I see as the number one most pernicious false teaching of our time, and every single one of us has been touched by it. I'm gonna give it a big, fancy name, tell you a little bit about the history, and maybe even how I felt it in my own heart at times, but it's called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, or MTD. The idea and the phrase actually came out of research in 2005, a book by uh, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton. Their book, Soul Searching, was, was based on uh, research in American youth culture and trying to figure out the worldview. What do kids 
believe. And yes, this actually was anchored in evangelical youth ministry in 2005. Moralistic therapeutic deism described by Dr. George Barna as a watered-down, feel-good, fake Christianity. Can I describe some of the major tenets of MTD? Uh, Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Pretty good, right? That's true. There is a creator God, and guess what? Most Americans still believe that. Secondly, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most world religions. True! That is a true statement. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Ooh. You smell it? I mean, but isn't it true, all of us, even the reason why we take less now and we obey commandments is actually, we actually want to be happy too? Yeah? We're just willing to to forego the happiness moment? So kind of true, right? What goes on? Tenant number four. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. See, God, God fits into my life when I'm really desperate. It's called the foxhole prayer, right? Um, and when my happiness is being threatened and I need to get happy again and feel good about myself, that's when I go to God. And then number five, good people, good people go to heaven when they die. And that, those are people that came out of our evangelical youth ministries. Can I tell you that moralistic therapeutic deism is the prevailing religious mindset here in North America to this day? It's a low-commitment, entertainment-driven church culture that places me and who I am and my needs and my happiness at the center of the universe— Here's the problem. It is diametrically opposed to the teachings of Jesus. Reading from Matthew 16, Jesus of Nazareth himself says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would would save his life, and we all want to do that, Serious, committed Christian, willing to suffer, Christian, lukewarm, milquetoast Christian, agnostic and atheist alike. We all want to save our lives. The problem is you can't get there from here. You want to save it, and you want to put yourself at the center of the universe and make sure God is there to help you get it. It's just, it's weird. It's like, it's like trying to get to the east side, Bear Canyon Road, from my house. You can't get from here to there unless you do this long, circuitous road down to Tanka Verde and way back up. I could actually just run there and get there quicker than I can drive there. 
And in the same way, we all want to save our lives. And Jesus says, do you want to save your life? Here's how you get there from here. You got to lose it. You got to go way down south. The place called death and self-denial and surrender. Hands open and say, God, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. And whatever you see, you decide to do, please do it. That is biblical Christianity. Jesus said this, forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Exactly office, uh, uh, opposite of this, this man-made, me in the center, my happiness, eat, pray, love. Certainly God wouldn't want me to be unhappy in a, in a troubled marriage. You can't ask me to, to, be, to stay in this thing. Well, he does ask you to die, to pick up your cross, to lose your life. And isn't it interesting, the people that go all in are the most joyful Christians in the universe. Isn't that interesting? How that seems to work every single time. English Puritan John Flavel said said it this way, the intent of the Redeemer's undertaking was not to purchase for his people riches, ease, and pleasures on earth, but to mortify their lusts, heal their natures, and spiritualize their affections, and thereby to fit them for the eternal fruition of God. And the reason for all that is to just warn us Don't think that you got to become a Mormon to step off the path. Because I have absolutely been been tempted and go, God, right now I'm just going to be selfish. I'm just going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to see how long of a leash I can have to find my own happiness. As long as it's not a clear commandment that I'm violating, I'll I'll, I'll try to pull up right there. and, And really, though, just make it about me. And see how much I can get without a clear violation of God and my faith. And I've bought in in that moment to some form of what I believe to be moralistic, therapeutic deism. How about you? So, believer, beware. All that is called Christian is not necessarily of Christ. Here's the second thing. It's too convincing to be obvious. So you go, that's not obvious. How do you know my motives are mixed? Uh Uh-huh. The message, though, the other kinds of false teachings that come in, it's not like the devil shows up with a pitchfork and a pointy tail and says, hey, worship me. That's not what we're talking about. That doesn't work. Most atheists would go, oh, there must be a God. You're dumb. I'm not doing that. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. This is how it happens There will be false teachers among you. They're here. They're in the church of Tucson. They're in the church of North America. They're in the churches around the world. They're in all the denominations. They're among us. And here's how it works, and we've already seen this by what Lucifer did in the garden. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. The word for secretly bring. Perisaxusen. It means to bring in alongside of. And so they actually come in with the real thing, and they're actually pretty darn good teachers. 
And most of what they say is on point. But it's a philosophy that undergirds it. It's, it's what they bring in and they lay in alongside of the real thing that gets them and gets us into trouble. It's secretly bringing in alongside the real thing. That's why Lucifer can quote scripture to Jesus in, in the wilderness temptations. Those were true scriptures that he was quoting to Jesus of Nazareth. The problem was, the, what, was what was undergirding that in that it was a temptation to violate other scriptures, to short circuit God's timing that was problematic. But understand, it's convincing. They're amongst us. It's secretive. And then listen to this. It says in verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. Many. How many? Many. So we have to be on guard and be aware. It's, it's not going to be obvious. It's going to sound plausible and on point. And it's actually going to feed into our deepest longings. A longing for happiness and joy and pleasure and delight. Many will follow their sensuality. This is what Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, who was the bishop of Ephesus. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, whoa, laying it on thick, isn't he? This is a holy and sanctified charge to a young pastor. Like, pay attention, dude. And he goes to say, preach the word, not preach your own preference, not preach your opinion, not preach your philosophy, not preach your stories, not preach your experiences, preach the word. And by the way, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? And why take it so seriously today and not tomorrow? Because Paul says in verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There's that word passion or sensuality. Or, or desire. They're going to acquire for them teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so I think the warning is for every single one of us, whether you got a seminary degree or maybe even a couple of seminary degrees or you're, you're a second grader. It's a call for humility that I, I could actually fall into error. And to admit that, it's one of the greatest safeguards from falling into error, is admitting that you could fall into error. If any, Jesus said this, if anyone thinks he stands strong, let him take heed lest he fall. So be humble. Secondly, be vigilant. That doesn't mean to start a food fight in church. I think Mo's an error. Why? I don't know. I just didn't like the way he prayed. We're not calling for that, but a kind of vigilance that's measuring everything by what? The prophetic word made sure. It's a call for humility, a call for vigilance, and a call for loving the truth 
more than we love our longings or pleasures or senses. Loving the truth more than we fear discomfort. So, too convincing to be obvious. Here's the final one. False teachings and false teachers are too destructive to ignore. You can't just say, well, we believe most of the right thing and that gets us to heaven. Hey, that's only part of the story. Real lives are destroyed by false teaching. Even something as vanilla as moralistic therapeutic deism destroys lives, destroys workplaces, destroys marriages, destroys families, destroys churches when that stuff gets in there. That's why Peter would say, because of them, the false teachers and teachings, the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. The word uh, blaspheme that we already looked at is to speak evil about. And, and what do we look around and we see in the, the fall of the modern evangelical megachurch pastor and how much press gets devoted to the affairs and the embezzlements and, and the abuse of power that is now just, just pop culture. And it's not just that they were bad guys that were, that were uh, stealing money or buying Harley-Davidson motorcycles for, for guest speakers. It's just they gave cannon fodder to the world, to the enemies of Christ, to mock Christ, to mock the way of Jesus, to mock the church of Jesus Christ is blasphemed. Why does that happen or how does it happen? It happens because ideas have consequences. Every terrible thing that happens begins in inception with an idea. It was a Jewish professor of neurology and psychiatry named Viktor Frankl that really coined that idea that ideas have consequences or, or talked about it. In his book, Man's Search for Meeting, Viktor Frankl was uh, a prisoner in Auschwitz and Dachau. And uh, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, sold 8 million copies where he took a deep dive into why do people do what they do and how do these atrocities happen. It was in uh, an interview, and I believe somewhere in the late 90s, he was 90 years old, and in an interview he said, made this statement about the German death camps and how those actually happened. He says this, I'm absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Maidenek were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. In other words, ideas have consequences. Consequences that bless or destroy. People's behaviors, whether good or bad, don't just happen. They actually flow out of ideas and thoughts and philosophies. 
You let good-sounding but off-center ideas percolate in your mind long enough, just a bubble off, and they will produce a harvest of destructive behavior, and because of that, Jesus' name in the way of Christ will be mocked. Because ideas have consequences. So believer, beware. All that goes by the name Christian is not necessarily of Christ. Well, these false teachers, and time demonstrates, they exploit, the word for exploit is where we get the word emporium. The church and the congregants become the teacher's emporium. It's the way that they make money. It's the way they get famous. It's the way they uh, gather power. And they're not pastors, the way Peter demonstrated his own pastoral heart a few paragraphs earlier. They're actually out for what they can make of themselves and make for themselves. And the warning here is that while God is indeed patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance at the same time, he is angry. In the Old Testament book, when Elijah took on the 450 prophets of Baal, that big showdown on Mount Carmel, and God answered Elijah with fire, and everyone suddenly went, "Uh uh-oh, Elijah, what do we do? And Elijah said, take them all down and slaughter them. And you go, oh my goodness, what kind of religion are we following? I mean, you don't just just kill people. Why was it so severe? Take them down by the river and slit them from stem to stern and bleed them out. All 450 of them. How could a loving God do that? And here's how and here's why. Because these 450 prophets of Baal that I believe even Jeremiah knew about when he wrote Jeremiah 23 that we looked at at previously, they had been at this for a long time exploiting the Jews and leading them down the path to eternal destruction. And God said, game over. And Elijah gave the commandment and they took him out. And in the same way, Peter's saying he has his methods and his means. He's not telling the church to burn heretics. He's saying their destruction is not idle. God is going to get even. Why? Because he loves people. And false prophets and false teachers lead people to hell. So it's serious, serious, serious business. Believer, beware. All that is called Christian is not of Christ. So what to do? I said it already. It's a call for humility. It's a call for vigilance. And it's a call to love the truth more than we love our own comfort. That we would be a people that are so committed to the truth as demonstrated in the scriptures that we would forego comfort. That we would be willing to give up our lives in order to find that which is truly life. And in closing, to just tie it back in to where we just came from, because remember these two are grammatically and theologically connected. Can I tell you the antidote 
for this. The way to escape error is found in 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to. That's how you do it. Pay attention to the scriptures. You know, they say, um, those who work in banks and when they, they train bankers how to recognize counterfeit money might be, might be myth at this point, but it sounds plausible and, it, and it's absolutely true theologically. The way to spot counterfeits is not to be surrounded by counterfeits, but to be literally inundated and saturated with the real thing. And when we are inundated and saturated with the real thing, it's almost automatic to spot the lie. And the real thing is the prophetic word made more certain. Pay attention. Pay attention. And you'll never go wrong. Can we pray? Father, as we we begin 2022 in a brand new chapter in the life of the Journey Church, and a brand new chapter in even, even every one of our lives. So many reasons why we need your word in our life, really just to survive. It's, it's our very breath, it's our very food, it's, it's our, our living water. But Lord, it's also our safeguard from these things that can absolutely devastate our lives and our families and our marriages and our churches. So Lord, May we be people that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst for your truth. That we would be people that love the truth far more than we love our own comfort. May this be our hunger in our heartbeat in 2022. We pray it together in Jesus' name. 